Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio. We're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta, over there. On the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing very well today. It's going to be a really fun episode. Uh, we have a guest, which I'm super excited about. I've been super excited about for a while now. Uh, Mike Petriello of MLB.com. Uh, you may know him from the StatCast broadcasts, from his articles on Baseball Savant, from his Twitter feed, uh, from his defensive threads on Twitter. Uh, he's a guy that we've been looking forward to having for a while, and we finally got to make it happen today. So that that's very exciting for us. Yes, he he continues to be a very, uh, very much part of the you know s- baseball stats world, and uh, you know everything Baseball Savant. Um, and he mentioned in the interview about, you know, that he is a writer. He's known as a writer, but he also does a lot more with baseball savant and and everything that goes into that. And yeah, it was a pleasure to pleasure to talk to him, you know, get a another side of, of baseball savant. And I know last year we talked to to Sarah, Sarah Langs around this time last year, um, who, you know, is another great contributor to uh, MLB.com and baseball savant. So it was it was good to get another part. Uh, another part of that yeah no it was I think a pretty cool interview he was very he's very awesome obviously and uh we're excited for you guys to listen to it uh for sure for sure and um you know later in the episode we will be getting into the Lucas Giolito trade uh to the Angels as well as the Ahmed Rosario and Noah Syndergaard trade however first we will get into that interview that we just discussed uh and without further ado here is mike petriello and we are happy to welcome uh from you may know him from his work on mlb.com uh seen a lot on the baseball savant front page and whatnot analyzing players analyzing everything important going on in major league baseball right now uh, it is Mike Petriello. How you doing, Mike? Hey, guys. Good morning. Happy to be here. Mike, it's really good to have you on the show. Uh, I, we've been fans of your work for a while. And uh, one thing that we love to ask our guests that specialize in sabermetrics uh, is how did you go from kind of like using like basic stats to evaluate players like the batting average, home run, RBI uh, type of stats to eventually leading into uh, you know, like OPS and then eventually like exit velocity, launch angle, uh, batted ball metrics. Well, I'd like to say I have some advanced stats background. I am a history major, so I do not, yeah, um, you. you know, I, if, if you go back to when I was real young, I have a vivid memory of being like eight and reading like the bill James 1987 annual or whatever. And, I, you know, obviously you didn't have the quite the same sabermetrics back then, but certainly the way he wrote about it was very interesting. And, you know, it was pretty clear even at the time, like even into the 90s, like batting average. Whenever I explain the flaws in batting average, I've never had anybody say, oh, no, that doesn't make sense. It's like, oh, yeah, walks are good. 
home runs are good too. Let's value those things, right? Uh, so when I started writing about baseball it was in around 2007. And I think at that time was really an interesting point in baseball history because it was like post the Moneyball book and pitch effects was starting to come out. But you still had some of these old school writers who'd been around since like the 60s and were very, you know, against any of this stuff. So there was a real like open window if you could uh, not only like understand the new metrics, but explain them in an interesting way, which I think is kind of what helped me get my start. It's harder now because like all the beat writers now are, you know, my age or younger and they, they've they come up with this stuff too. So like, they're totally on board. There's no one like fighting against it anymore other than like talk radio callers. You know what I mean? So for me, uh, it was kind of like right place, right time, because that was when things were starting to become accepted and then later on mainstream. And uh, I like to say my career couldn't have happened 10 years earlier or 10 years later. I don't think it like kind of had to be right about then. Right. That, uh, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I, one thing I am curious of kind of with all people like this, um, you know, obviously with beat writers, it's, it's, it would probably be, it's very accepted upon, uh, you know, talking about this stuff. But if you're at like, if you're in a setting with, you know, maybe a casual baseball fan who wants to talk baseball and they're, they're talking about, they're, they're evaluating players based on batting average. What, what do you try to do in like, or, or just straight up ERA and not any any other metrics? Like, is there anything that you try to go into without trying to go on a full, you know, baseball savant article, but still try to make it make sense for them? Yeah, nobody, you know, either in person or on TV wants like an algebra article, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it sort of depends on the audience. Um, if it's just like some random person next to you at a bar, then it probably doesn't matter how deep you go into it. You know, if it's like someone who's, interested in learning or is capable of learning then you can say yeah you know i'll give you a good example is um Ha-Seon kim who plays for uh san diego and war loves him this year right but if you look at his uh traditional stats he's hitting like 270 with 35 rbis or whatever and i think a lot of people will be like oh war, war is broken that guy's not very good and it's like well okay but gets a lot of walks that's good great on the bases probably going to win a gold glove this year like as a complete baseball player and that's sort of the way you go about it it's like it doesn't have to be scary math it's like hey this is kind of valuing all of the other stuff beyond just did he get a single in that plate appearance or not and if you're a baseball fan and a lot of the people who don't necessarily like stats kind of you know like the small ball the other things that aren't like captured in the box score you could say well some of these things are captured by different stats that are valuing these other things that these guys do I think a lot of the like the OPS pluses and the weighted runs created plus of the world, like they sound a lot more complicated than they really are. Because like there was you did you see that clip of Blake Snell this year looking at like the Padres scoreboard, talking to the announcers, being like, What is WRC plus? No, I saw Tommy okay. Pham quoted about it this morning saying he's improved in it, which uh, means Tommy Pham is great. <laughs> that I mean he has. Uh but anyway, there was a clip of Blake Snell talking to the Padres broadcast, and he was looking up at the scoreboard and they were showing like whoever the current batter was, his metrics and weighted runs created plus was listed. And he was like, I've never seen this in my life. Does anyone know what that is? And Don Orsillo and Mark Brand were like, no, no idea. No idea what that is. And it sounds so much more complicated when you've never heard of it, but it's really just, you know, overall offensive production average is a hundred. Anything above or a hundred is how above are you below are you compared to average? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's sort of why OPS plus still persists, even though it's mm -hmm. much worse math, is that you you don't have to explain what a weighted run created is first. 
you know, most people at least have a vague understanding of what OPS is without needing it to be explained to them. So even though the math isn't great, it still somehow works, even though it shouldn't. And it's much easier to get across. So I have found that if you have a stat like that, where like there's a better one, that's maybe 5% better, but it takes you like 80% more effort to explain it. In most cases, it's probably not worth it. Like if I was still writing a fan graphs and yeah, fine. But like if I'm on TV for 10 seconds, I'm just going to go with OPS plus, I think. Mm-hmm. Some would right. say weight minus graded plus makes you sound smarter if you know it, even though it's virtually the same thing. Well, it can, but it can also <laughs> turn people off who don't know it and then totally zone you out because then they think you're a giant science nerd in, in the bad way. I don't consider that to be a pejorative, but some people do. No, no, I, I agree with you on that, but it is it is fun. Um, so you, uh, how did you get involved specifically with Baseball Savant? Like, how did you get to MLB.com and specifically uh, with that portion of the website? Yeah, um, short version is I started writing a blog on my own in 2007 uh, about the Dodgers, and uh, people liked it, and it was successful, and that got the opportunities with Baseball Prospectus and then Fangraphs, and Fangraphs had a weekly content sharing partnership with ESPN, so I would submit an article each week that would run on the ESPN website or in the magazine sometimes, and then my editor uh, at ESPN quit and went to MLB, and a couple months later, StackS came online. And he called me and he's like, oh, we got all these newspaper writers who mostly are not going to be able to talk about StackCast. Do you want to come over here and write about StackCast? And I said, yeah, great. I definitely want to do that. And around the same time, uh, Darren Woolman had created Baseball Savant like as a hobby. He was a software developer in the uh, uh, Harris County, Texas prosecutor's office. And it was like a side thing for him. And obviously it became very popular and very useful. And um, he came over to MOB and brought the site and he and I, you know, worked together closely and became good friends. And obviously Tom Tango and Jason Bernard joined us as well. Um, And then, you know, Darren got hired by the Rangers and that kind of left us in the lurch for a little bit, but the site stayed here. So uh, we've hired a replacement for him, uh, Dana Bennett, who's been great. And I've kind of become like the project manager, uh, even though I don't write a line of code for the site, that is all Tom and Dana and Jason, but um, I know people mostly know me as a writer, but these days that's like 20% of my job is writing for the site and the rest of it is everything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's a, it, it is a very interesting way to, uh, get into baseball spot. And yeah, the, the creation of it is, is extremely interesting as well. Uh, how you describe it there. Um, so, and, when you mention 80% is the other stuff, like, could you go into sort of what the other stuff really is? Sure. Uh, so obviously managing baseball savant and the team of people who work on it. So the people mostly report to me. So I've got some managerial responsibilities, um, certainly tons of time coming up with like, what are the next stats be? What are they going to look like? All that sort of stuff. Lots of time talking to broadcasters who have interest in using stats on the site on their broadcasts and like how to do that in an interesting way. Uh, yesterday I was on like 600,000 emails with Google, which was uh, not the most fun day I've had, but they are uh, doing all sorts of advertisements uh, and they want to make sure that they're using stats properly and correctly. And so I was, you know, a lot of it is just making sure that the complicated numbers are used appropriately and telling the right story. Um, we also have a wide team of writers, you know, 30 beat writers, a bunch of national writers, some of whom want to use stats, some of whom don't, and that's totally fine. But um, I'm in contact with a lot of them helping out to make sure that they use the stats right. Uh, I help Corey Schwartz out a lot with the pitch classification. So all the all those are managed right from here. Um, and Corey has been the uh, 
the god of that for since day one basically but um i've spent a lot of my time helping him out with those and i think those have improved so it's something different every day um which i think is kind of fun it keeps it fresh that is very fun have you enjoyed the the sort of transition away from exclusively being a writer and doing all this other stuff yeah, that was a goal. Like on day one, I was like, I don't want to just be a writer because it's tough to, you know, as you've seen the way the media world has changed the last couple of years, sometimes it's tough to be. Uh, but also I didn't get my first job here full time until I was 35 years old, you know? So like I'm sitting in midtown Manhattan right now and you can't see this, but right across the street, I used to work in that office building for like five or six years uh, at a PR firm, uh, you know, as a project manager and building websites for like pharmaceutical companies and stuff, which was not exactly the, you know, dream career path. But it certainly taught me a lot of other skills, right? Like how to Photoshop, how to manage, how to, you know, write some non-database kinds of code. And when I came into this job, I was like, yeah, I want to write totally, but I, I don't want to just be a writer. That's not going to help my career progress. And I've got, I didn't like go to journalism school and then get a job at a newspaper. I did all this other stuff for like 15 years. So I want to be able to use some of those skills. And I think that's helped me. Yeah. And one of the great things about baseball savant is that. Sometimes you'll think, oh, I wish there was a stat for this. And then two months later, you'll get that. You'll just get that stat. And one of those stats recently to develop has been uh, like defensive run, like complete run value, not just outs above average, but also, you know, especially for outfielders, including the the arm value that they bring so that a guy like Ronald Acuna Jr., like maybe his outs above average isn't that great this year, but his, uh, but his arm has been able to bring him up. Like, so with a stat like that, um, you know, is it like, I'm sure that's, you know, developed, uh, you know, very, very far before it's introduced, but kind of what goes into the the detail of that stat and, and, and what leads up to that being introduced? It's different for each one. So our team is myself, uh, Dana Bennett, who, you know, replaced Aaron and does all the front end visuals and everything. And um, Jason Bernard, and then Tom Tango and Tom is like a, baseball stats legend for decades right he's worked consulted for teams and obviously he's here full-time so uh and also david adler has joined us recently too and we you know spend a lot of time every day talking about what's next um and then when we have decided like what we want a stat to be tom is the one who will go and do all the math for it basically and then he'll come back and say you know here's here's the first draft here's what it looks like and does it make sense <laughs> like that's the first thing really like it it doesn't it shouldn't always a new stat should not just like tell you exactly what your eye test thinks like that's sort of pointless but on the other hand if you had put out i don't know like sprint speed rankings and it said byron buxton is slow and gary sanchez is fast then you know that's broken so that's like the first step does it even make sense will it pass anybody's smell test uh once we're satisfied with that we figure out how to present it you know a lot of, a lot of times the tables that tom will produce have like 80 columns in them which is great for getting as much detail as possible but that's not really the way we're going to present something on the site if you want anybody to consume it so we talk about okay what's this going to look like what are the columns going to be uh should we have like a fancy custom visual uh for it which some of our leaderboards do and, and some of them don't um how are we going to sort it right will you be able to sort it by year sort it by team all this kind of stuff Th that's like all the hard work that goes into it and why some of the things take longer than uh, I'd like them to. But once we do that, we're satisfied. We put it up on a test site and then we have a group of people here that, you know, we always like to show things to, to get their opinions. Uh, Sarah Langs, for example, Andrew Simon, uh, a bunch of other of our researchers and writers who we trust because they're like the serious power users of the site. And uh, 
once everybody's satisfied for a lot of things, I'll write something about it, you know, to explain it or, or highlight interesting guys or whatever. And uh, then it goes up. Yeah. And it's been a pretty big year for just new things that have come to baseball savant. Chris mentioned the, the fielding uh, run value. There's also been like base running things that you've released recently, a lot of catcher stuff. Uh, what have been some of your favorite things that you guys have released this year? Well, the catcher thing I think was, was cool because that's something I've been thinking about for a while. And it was great because that's like a very baseball thing, you know, for like a hundred years, you've had base runners saying, yeah, I still have the catcher, uh, excuse me, I still have the pitcher, not, not the catcher. Right. And for how long have we been judging catchers just based on caught stealing rate, right? where if you watch the play here, like, yeah, that guy was like 80 feet you know, down the line, like, no shot. Um, so that's actually what we're working on next is uh, the pitcher version of that. Cause right now you can only just sort by catchers. You can't look at, you know, which pitchers are actually good or poor doing that. So that's, that's the next step of that, which I'm pretty excited about. And I don't want to give a date for it, but uh, hopefully, you know, before the end of the calendar year, at least, and hopefully before the end of the baseball year. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And someone, <clears throat> someone whose uh, numbers would be interesting on that just got traded with Noah Syndergaard and how, you know, how poor he tends to be with uh with base with base runners, I'm sure that stat would be an anomaly with with him. Yeah, well, I I, I saw an early version of it, and I went into it with three names in mind. I'm like, if these three guys don't pop as being like really bad at this, then we got to go back to the drawing board. And they were like three of the top five, and it was him, uh, Kenley Jansen, and yeah. Adam Ottavino. Because <laughs> like right. you know, a lot of relievers aren't very good at this, but uh, those names definitely popped. And I was like, all right, there's actually signal here. We're onto something. Yeah, Chris and I are both Red Sox fans, so we can tell you with two of those three. Yeah. <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, what, well, I mean, speaking of which, we love that Connor Wong is uh, is at the top of the, like, the throwing leaderboards, the pop time leaderboards. Um, one thing that I love about the catcher throwing one is, like, that it has video attached to every uh, every throw. Like, Connor Wong, I think, has two caught stealings this year that were like under 10% like probability and getting to see those, I think is like one of the cool features that you guys uh, attach to that one as well. Yeah. Um, for the most part, it's, uh, it's nice to be able to show video when we can. Sometimes it's tricky because video doesn't always match the eye test and people get angsty about that. I think for the catcher one, it's fine. You know, the, you know, like exit velocity, it's fine. Launch angle, fine. but, um, you know, like outfield catch probability, it doesn't always match the eye test. And people get all freaked out about that. But for the catcher one, yeah, we try to do that whenever possible. I'm hopeful we'll be able to do more of that um, as time goes on. Yeah, it truly, it it it's kind of like it, seeing the seeing the stuff that you can see now as compared to even just like five years ago. It's almost like you're living in in fantasy land. Like how how much access you do have to certain things, and that's largely thanks to you know what what people. What, what the great people at baseball Savant are doing. Um, and uh, one thing, uh, a big part of your, one of the bigger parts of your career has been able, has been a contribution to uh, what actually is now out of baseball, but the uh, StatCast broadcasts, um, which, you know, a lot, I know Daniel and I have really enjoyed um, really bringing a great, pers- a, a newer perspective, a perspective that isn't talked about as much on the national scale. Um, you know, what, what have your, what, what were your, some of, fa- some of your favorite memories, uh, speaking on the baseball or the, uh, stat cast broadcast? Yeah. I mean, uh, my first memory is just that I made some 
people who are now pretty good friends of mine, right? Jason Benetti and uh, Eduardo Perez and Andy Jacobson, our producer. Um, just like those connections were great. The first time we did it was the wild card game. Well, we did a home run derby, but the first game we did was the Cubs uh, Rockies wild card game in 2018. And my, uh, I remember being impressed that they were treating it like a real broadcast uh, because people in the past had tried this and it was you know, like a round table from a studio somewhere. And this was like, nope, we are in Wrigley. You're getting a booth. We get to talk to the managers. Um, they gave us a real play-by-play person in Jason, who's the voice of the White Sox. And then obviously Eduardo, who has a uh, baseball life dating back to his dad and his own career and all that. And like they treated it like a real thing. And the first time it was like, okay, is this going to work? Uh, what didn't make it easier was not knowing who was playing in the game. <laughs> if you remember the way that season ended, uh, there were like, I think two tiebreaker uh, games. So I remember we flew like to Chicago. Games, yeah. Yeah. We flew to Chicago and it was like, uh, maybe we'll drive to Milwaukee tomorrow. We'll see. Uh, so I mean, there's a lot of prep that goes into those games. So that made it very difficult. And in fact, we hadn't done it before. And we got lucky because, you know, it's a Cubs game. It's at Wrigley. It went extra innings like that. Not being like a blowout, boring game is certainly something you can't control for, but it certainly worked in our favor. And um, it's funny. Part of the reason we it doesn't happen anymore is I think it's like we're the victim of our own success because a lot of that stuff is just mainstream now. You know, in 2018, it was like revolutionary to put some of the stuff up. And now it's on like every broadcast and like the main ESPN Sunday night broadcast. Well, they have Eduardo now. And they have Andy, who's our producer now, you know, and like it, it's a little harder to second screen against like David Cohn, who knows almost everything I do, but also had like a borderline Hall of Fame pitching career. You know, <laughs> so uh, sad it's kind of gone, but I'm 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 glad we seem to have made an impact. I do. I do miss it a lot. And going kind of going back to your point of it's it's mainstream now. I remember in 2021, uh, I would watch the broadcast and then like anything that you brought up, I would like try to like research on my own on Savant to see like to kind of test like how much I knew how to find on Savant at that point and what I still needed to work on and it was like I think a pretty good rate but I remember watching uh, a Red Sox Yankees game with my dad and it was like a blowout Yankee win not not a fun game to watch for me but uh, like you know you guys were going into everything and my dad was like why isn't this more mainstream and I was like dad I've been asking that for like three years now like it's a it's a fantastic question yeah, I mean, it, it certainly has become that way, right? Um, it's, it makes it fun because it's two things, right? It makes it fun because you don't have to convince everybody why that stuff is valuable. And it also makes it harder because it's not as like revolutionary to be like, look at this cool thing. And they're like, yeah, I know. I, we've already seen the cool thing. You know, we've always got to try to push harder to find the next cool thing. But, the you know, the shows that do it right, uh, it doesn't have to be like scary. You know, it can just be, hey, I mean, some of it's so baseball-y. I mean, now we can show you who... Uh, runs the fastest who's got the strongest right field throwing arm like that is that's just scout stuff really you can start with there you don't have to do like expected metrics and all this kind of stuff if you don't want to um you can say who hits the ball the hardest like that stuff's not scary to me if you want to go deeper you can um especially with the pitching stuff if you want to say hey why does this why did the uh first place orioles acquire this guy from the terrible a's who had an 857 era right well here's why here are the metrics that tell you why the Orioles haven't lost their minds. And I think if you're going to explain some of the things that teams are doing, you got to kind of at least have a cursory understanding of some of the stuff. Right. Yeah. And that's, I kind of ran into that a little bit when people were talking about uh, Luis Arise, um, you know, having 
low exit, you know, crazy low exit velocity, but high expected batting average. And people, I think people were like, oh, this stuff is broken. Like how, how could this, how could this possibly be? And then I think, I think it reminded me like, okay, maybe the, the, the nerd, the quote unquote nerds and the quote unquote old school baseball people are not that different because we both agree that strikeout rate, like having a low strikeout rate is great for a contact hitter and having a high line drive rate and a low pop-up rate is also great for a, you know, for a guy like Luis Arise and that works for him. And it's not, it's, it's not that different. It's just, we use different things to evaluate the player. Yeah. A lot of that was just like a big straw man argument where people would be like, Oh, his, his page has blue on it. So the nerds think he's terrible. And it's like, he's like fifth in the league in PS plus or whatever. Like the nerds don't think he's terrible. Uh, I, I also yeah. remember people getting angsty. It's like his expected batting average is like 50 points below his actual batting average. And that's not to say that the the number is infallible. Like you can always improve on a model. So should it have been closer? Sure, maybe. But also at the same time, I was like, he's hitting like 410. You're telling me he's not overperforming in any way. <laughs> like he's yeah. not going to hit 410 all year. And he hasn't. You know, he's hit like, I don't know, 280 for the last six weeks. So it, you can kind of, depending on what your... Uh, opinion or agenda might be you could sort of tell whatever story you want with some of these exactly a 400 expecting batting average is like a borderline impossible right and that would have been more broken if it said that i think yeah yeah you'd have to you would have to have the same batted ball literally every single time which is like that just can't happen um yeah 70 percent sweet spot rate something like that yeah, the Louis. Yeah, exactly. I've taken to calling him launch angle god, right? Because that's that's what he does. He hits the right launch angle. Right. Yeah. The the right one for him. Yeah. Yeah. The the Luis Arise discourse has been it's been it's been interesting this year for sure on both sides of the pendulum. Uh yeah. I mean, he's a great hitter, but the people who thought the Twins gave up a four hundred hitter weren't paying attention. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I think uh, to uh, sort of, you know, end on a bang here, we, we ask every guest the uh, same question to end the interview. Um, and it's, um, it is wonderful to get all perspectives and, and all, all the different guests, you know, desires with this question. And the question is, if you could um, retrieve you know, just retroactively retrieve any baseball player in baseball history's uh, stat cast data. Um, you know, you you kind of get their percentiles, you get uh, where they rank without getting any of the other players statistics. So you don't get that, you know, relativity com- compared to the other players, um, but you get their singular stat cast data. Uh, who, who are you going for in baseball history? Is there a person who hasn't said like, Barry Bonds' barrel rate or exit velocity or something? Because that, that seems I like mean, the most obvious answer there. It has been said. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the place you got to start. No, I think I would, Um, I don't know, I, I would find like, I'd love to know Sandy Koufax's pitch shapes and pitch metrics. You know what I mean? Because w- without taking anything away from, obviously, all-time great, you go back to some of the lineups of the 60s and you know, the bottom third of those lineups, uh, well, first of all, no DH, right? The bottom third of those lineups, you look at him and it's like, these guys are like 140 pounds. <laughs> and they, and there's a, there are a lot of reasons there was no offense in the sixties. And um, th- that was part of it. And I would just love to know, like, did he have incredible rise? You know, did his curveball have like 
wild spin rate? I'm I'm sure the answer is probably yes to some of that. You know, um, I, I would love to know exactly what made him so great. Yeah, right. no, that's that's a good answer. We haven't gotten Sandy Koufax yet. Uh, also, I don't know how much of like, I mean, I guess Sarah Langs did say Willie Mays, but like, I, I don't know how much of that era we've even really gotten. Right. Yeah, Willie yeah. Mays, everybody asks me, this has come up a lot. And they're like, can you look at the video and tell me the catch probability of the catch, right? The famous 1954 World Series catch. And the answer is no, it just doesn't work that way. And the secondary answer is, and you probably wouldn't like it because, you know, it's it's a great play, but people forget just how much depth there was in uh, center field in the polo grounds. So he had, a, he had a lot of space to run. I'm guessing it wouldn't actually pop to like 1% like people would want it to be. Yeah, no, it would probably be, it would probably have an expected, it would probably have an expect slugging of 5,000 somehow. <laughs> Maybe, but we'll never know, unfortunately. The home run the center field everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> except for Camden somehow. Yeah, right. right, yeah, even though it's in center field. Yeah, and and with, you know, with that question, it is, it is fun because even if even if hypothetically Sandy Koufax was maybe even averaging just like 93 on his fastball, it still would be nice to see like, is that a hundredth percentile or, you know, is that curveball spin of maybe even just 2,400 RPM? Is that a hundredth percentile? So I think that's always interesting because it's, it's where you are compared to the, your league. You can't control the area you, that you, uh, that you played in, but it would be interesting to see where you compare um, in that, in that spectrum. Yeah. I mean, especially if you had it for everybody ever, there would be guys who accidentally had like perfect spin access. Cause like they obviously couldn't measure that at the time. And I'm right. sure you could go back to the forties and be like, eh, this guy threw 89 and he was great. I just couldn't hit him and nobody could figure out why. And it's like, it was probably that. And he just, he didn't, it was an accident, like good for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Even, for even sure. going into like, even going into like illustrator charts, like I think that'd be super fun to see for, for anyone in like what different eras would look like with Sandy Koufax. It's like, you know, there's probably, he's probably giving up more back added balls in a single year than anyone today because he's pitching 350 innings a year compared to like someone maxing out and like Sandy Alcantara being like a anomaly at 228 and like you know 20 home runs given up in that time or something like that like I think that'd be fun yeah it'd also be fun to find guys you've never heard of who had insanely good raw metrics but just didn't have that last piece you know where it's like whatever whatever changes you'd make today maybe it was hey stop throwing your crappy four seamer and throw your curveball more because your curveball is great like which is not a thing you could do in 1948 or you have an amazing spin but you have terrible shape and if you just change your axis a little bit you'll be great which is like not a thing you could do in 1948 but i i would love to know those guys who in an alternate universe like would have been bob gibson basically right exactly exactly and it looking back it would be like oh this guy really mixed it up he only threw his four seamer 72 percent of the time um he you know he he had three he had three pitches as a starting pitcher that's crazy um yeah you would you would see all that type of stuff um but yeah it's been an absolute uh pleasure to have you on uh mr mike petriello um any anything you want to uh promote um yeah i mean obviously keep an eye on mlb.com and baseball savant i would say follow me on twitter but i'm not even sure that's a thing that's possible to do anymore um, we are working on some stuff at baseball savant, the pitcher thing I was telling you about, but, um, I think the thing that's going to blow everyone's mind, even though it's not a new metric is the next thing we're working on is if you go to everybody's page and you see at the top, you got the little percentile sliders that say you're good and bad at that. They're very old. Uh, we have a new design we're working on that I think is going to be Ooh. pretty cool. Show a lot of new stats and, uh, hopefully tell 
maybe tell a little fuller story than it currently does right now. We are both <clears throat> extremely excited about that. Um, it's been a pleasure and, uh, and yeah, I'm, you know, keep, keep doing what you're doing and, uh, we will continue to, uh, consume the content. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks a lot, guys. That was a wonderful interview with Mike Petriello. Uh, good to, uh, good to speak with him and kind of talk all things, whether it be today or, you know, especially with that question at the end, going into baseball history and talking about, you know, his desire for, you know, if you, if you were to go back in time or just get stat cast data from any, any era, what his desires would be. And it's, that's always fun to do with the last question. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's one of the coolest things that we've implemented into our show whenever we have a guest, because it's a very good question and the, the variety of that we get is very good and he gave us one that we have not heard before so yeah shout out to him for that yes big shout out big shout out and you know every follow everything he does definitely follow on twitter uh because you you know you at, at one point you're going to learn something you know well you're, you're going to run into something that you haven't really thought about before or just thought about in that certain way before so uh definitely definitely follow his work if you if you haven't already i'm sure if you clicked on this you probably were interested particularly in Mike Petriello, maybe clicking off now, but don't click off now because we're going to talk about these trades that we're going to, that, you know, have been capturing the baseball world uh, for a multitude of reasons. The Lucas Giolito trade captured the baseball world. Lucas Giolito was traded to the angels on uh, when, yeah, Wednesday night, Wednesday night. Uh, and Thursday morning. Yeah, the the Angels sent over their number two and three prospects. However, them being number two and three prospect organizational prospects, it means different and it means a different thing in every organization, but especially the Angels, because I think they have one of the lowest ranked farm systems in baseball, if not the lowest ranked. But it's nonetheless, it is their number two and three prospects. Uh, what were your thoughts on the uh, on the trade? Yeah, um, I think I mean, I, first of all, I appreciate the Angels going all in, right? I think that's kind of the the main takeaway from this. You know, people were wondering if they were going to trade Otani for a while, uh, if he would be up on the market. Uh, there was MLB trade rumors said that like they were listening, and it was kind of all speculation. But I think this really put the the nail in the coffin to any possible trade rumors about Shohei Otani, uh, because you know the Angels, like you said, they gave you. They gave up two of their top three organizational prospects, according to uh, many of the, you know, publications, MLB Pipeline, Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, um, you know, uh, with Kai Bush and Edgar Caro. Uh, and I think I kind of understand giving them up. One, because, uh, you know, you don't really have to worry too much about Edgar Caro if you are really banking on Logan Ohapi succeeding. Uh, he looked very good in the couple of weeks that he played before he suffered a long-term injury this year. Uh, and Caro, who is, is is their you know secondary catching prospect, he's also kind of struggled a bit this year. He's only he's only slashing two six three eighty six three thirty two for a seven eighteen OPS and double A. Um, you know he did very well in A ball, uh, uh, but you know he he hasn't really adapted to that step forward in seventy games so far this year. So this could be them using that to give up on him or whatever. Um, and also Kai Bush. 
uh, who is their number three prospect, the guy that was also traded. Uh, he's also struggled this year. I believe he is a seven ERA uh, in double A this year. He is a 588 ERA in 26 innings pitched in double A this year. Uh, last year he had a, uh, last year he was a little bit better, but you know, a couple of guys that have been struggling this year, Kai Bush particularly has been struggling with um, home runs. He has 1.8 home runs per nine allowed this year between double A and rookie ball. Uh, 2.1 in double a so you know like obviously you see two and three and you think oh man two and three for a, a reliever and a rental starter um, and it does mean a little bit different and maybe the angels did give up too much but overall i think this is it's a solid trade for the like significantly what it means for the organization and where their stance is for the future um and I also like that they got Ronaldo Lopez out of it too. I'm I'm pretty happy that the Angels made this trade personally. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, it's it. We we mentioned that there were you know there's potential of Ota- of Otani being traded, and I think we both agree, and we've agreed the past few weeks that it's sort of you know, you know media media bait sort of. It's it's not. It, I don't know if it was necessarily ever seriously talked about maybe maybe there maybe there was something on the table but the asking price obviously was going to be high and uh you know it, it would be a hard thing to ask of an organization no matter what their farm system looked like even if even if it was the orioles it was going to be hard to say all right well let's depart on this potential plan you know of the next five years in order to focus on this year when maybe we're not going to resign Otani at at the end of this um for me i don't know it it i i look at this a lot of different ways there's a lot of different lenses you could view this trade through um i personally think this trade was more for optics than for an actual good baseball decision uh it was it, it's kind of a thing of like okay we're not letting otani go we gotta buy we're buying and this is what you do when you buy. You get this, you, you know, you get Lucas Giolito. And Le- Lucas Giolito is, I can't disagree, is an absolute name. He's He's been, you know, established as a big name and been known as a good pitcher. However, what we have seen the last two years from him is not what we saw the previous three years from him uh you know oh you know this year alone he has a 3.79 era 4.46 bit 4.44 expected era and since the start of last year he is at a 4.43 era 94 era plus and 4.23 fit which is not the ace that you know people got to know before that so you know the angels are are kind of banking on him being something that maybe he is isn't even right now uh so i you know that that's that's sort of the thing and and it's i think what we're what we're seeing here is also this is a seller's market no matter if the angel even if they're not top 100 prospects that they're giving up you know giving up two and three organizationally for a guy who's been pitching like a a number three starter is is quite the you know it's quite the risk and what i will say to, to back off that statement maybe a little bit is the move to buy and not sell Otani this year. This looks a lot better if they do end up re-signing Otani because, it looks, you know, if, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. It looks, yeah, it looks like they knew what they were doing all along. Uh, right. You know, like who knows 
you know, also that you, you know, if they, you know, if they end up spending on Otani this off season, which I, you know, I think the odds aren't in their favor, but I wouldn't put it at a 0% chance. Um, they also now have to worry about resigning Giolito and Lopez because they're both rentals. Um, you know, like they don't, you know, they don't really have a ton of starting pitching coming through the system right now. Um, Kai Bush, I believe, was one of the uh, like 19 pitchers drafted in 2021 uh, when they drafted exclusively pitchers, and he was kind of the one that looked the best. Obviously, he's gone now, but no one else has really stood out to that degree. Um, yeah, no, I agree that this move does look a lot better if they end up re-signing Otani. Yeah, one 100%. And maybe maybe that's part. Maybe this this is all part of the plan of like this is potentially a selling point for Shohei Otani of like, okay, we are trying to win. We, we want to get you to the playoffs, you know, when we haven't been able to do that at all in your time here, even with the expanded playoffs. However, yeah, I think that's part of why I say this is more for optics than an actual good baseball decision, because objectively, if you took, you know, if you took the names out of it, if you took the history out of it and you thought, okay, this team is three games out. Um, Their roster outside of this one star is either not that good or injured right now. Um, If you look at it that way, then you're like, okay, maybe maybe getting this sort of, I'd say, overpriced starters along with the reliever. I, I know there is a reliever involved, but this overpriced starter, maybe that's not the best decision. But when you add the sort of politics of it, uh, I think it makes a little bit more sense. Um, however, yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think, I I don't know if I can get a complete opinion on this until we see where the angels end up this year and where the, and where the angels end up on the Otani sweepstakes once he becomes a free agent. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I want to dive into the the two pitches that they got though. Giolito, obviously the numbers haven't been what you want them to be, you know, say like since 2020 um but the potential is there and it really lies on his ability to keep the ball in the park over his last nine starts he is a 342 era which is solid he does have a four four six fifth however and that's largely exclusively uh because of uh his home run rate he has he's given up nine home runs in his last 53 innings pitched uh that's not a good rate that's not what you want that's why his fit is so inflated uh and, and you know that's it is a large part of uh, why he's kind of fallen off over these last couple of years. But if he keeps the ball in the park, his strikeout to walk numbers are good enough to where you know you're getting what you paid for from him, even if it's just for two months. And then with Lopez as well, he only gave up one home run in all of last season in 65 innings pitched, and he's given up seven this year in 40 something innings pitched. So uh, the home run ball has been a problem for him. His strikeout to walk numbers are also solid. Um, or at least his walk numbers haven't been fantastic this year in particular, but you know, he strikes out a lot of guys, he gets outs. Um, but yeah, he needs to keep the ball in the park. You know, that's the angels are really relying on two these two pitchers to be able to contain the home run ball. And if they can do that, I think all things considered, this will end up being a solid trade. That's really my, my big analysis on how this trade can become a success for the angels. Right. Exactly. And I mean, this, and no matter what, no matter what they do, if they if they don't make the playoffs, this this come if they don't I mean, if they don't make the playoffs and they don't resign Otani, 
this looks like it looks like a bit of a disaster if we're, if we're being honest and that's the risk that the angels are, apparently are willing to take and you know they're they're three games out of the wild card spot right now um however they they've won eight of their last 10 but they've also lost i think 16 of their last 29 so depending on the scale you could say they're hot or they're cold and you know in this eight out of t- eight wins out of 10 stretch or eight wins in 10 games stretch uh, i know that consists of a sweep of the tigers a sweep of the yankees and uh i forget the other team that they played but a team that was not doing particularly well um and upcoming they have the sixth hardest strength of schedule remaining according to tankathon which i've been able to trust i think that they just go off based off of winning percentage but at this point that's pretty reliable to go off of they have the sixth hardest remaining strength of schedule they have the yankees and red sox ahead of them in the race to get to that spot that sixth wild card spot um so they they run that risk and yeah i think i think there's a there's a giant risk i think a lot of you know Artie Mar- or art Artie Moreno's legacy it's it's kind of on the line here with the results of this trade uh you know he you know with 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 not selling Otani you know he's not going to be the owner that traded away the best player on the planet that's so he he's not going to he's not going to do that but he is the owner so far that has not built the good team around the best player on the planet for around a decade uh, whether it's Trout or Otani, because they've both been the best okay. player on the decade, both both play, best player on the planet. And uh, he could be the owner that let the best player on the planet go without ever going to the playoffs or getting prospects to set up the future after Otani. So he runs a risk with this trade. Absolutely. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, you know, this could be a miracle run where, Hey, maybe they, maybe they take that playoff spot. Maybe, maybe they make a run in the playoffs. I just see that as unlikely. So that's why I see it as a, as a major risk to, you know, not seriously talk about trading Otani and, and, and going full by here. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, ownership is definitely the most to blame for this ineptitude over the last decade of, being unable to make it to the playoffs with the best player on the team or in the best player in the league. Uh, and at some point, it's two of the best players in the league. Um, this year, however, has been, I think, a little different. I think it's just more been unfortunate. You know, there's been a lot of underperformance from a lot of guys that they relied on. You know, Tyler Anderson uh, came in as a signing that we loved. You know, I mean, we thought he got way below his market value and he just hasn't performed on any on any fronts. Uh, Reed Demers hasn't taken the step forward that we hoped he would. Patrick Sandoval has kind of regressed a little bit on the pitching side of things, but also, you know, they have been very plagued by injury, whether it's Logan O'Hoppy, whether it's Brandon Drury, uh, whether it's Mike Trout, uh, you know, at several points throughout this season, like they have, uh, you know, suffered a lot of unfortunate luck this year uh, on the injury side of things. And also the players, just a lot of the players just simply haven't done their jobs. Um, and yeah, I think this is, I mean, I think we can both agree that at this point in the Trout Otani era, this is the best chance they've had. So, right. you know, might as well give it one last shot. You know, if, if, if it blows up, that's, but I think they'd rather go for it now than not uh, look back when things could still be bad without Otani for a long time and think we could have at least gone with it one more time with him. 
yeah, there there is that perspective, and you know, it, there is a question of like, okay, what do the what do the Angels have to lose at this point? I mean, it's been you know eight consecutive years without a yeah. postseason appearance. It's been however like almost a decade and a half since a playoff a single game playoff victory so you know if they if they're bad for another extra couple of years because they decided not to trade otani at some point then you know it's just another couple of years added to you know a decade and a half of underperformance unfortunately uh so there is there is that perspective you know it is a general generational player to or like not even generational like once in a century type player that you're dealing with so so yeah, there is that perspective and they are five games above 500. I mean, last year they were, they ended up like 16 games below 500. So they are, they're in a good spot comparative to what they usually are. Um, but yeah, it, you know, nonetheless, I believe it is a, it, it can be a big risk here. However, yeah, there, there are, there are a lot of things that go into it. Um, I mean, from the White Sox perspective, uh, so yeah, obviously they've decided to full sell, which is, probably a good decision on their part at least with giolito um do we think this is sort of like the first domino to fall or do they do we think that they sort of stop with this i mean i don't really know other dominoes can fall because like i mentioned on last show like luis roberts probably the only untouchable guy in there uh yes money grandal in his contract i'm not sure I uh, Tim Anderson, I think could probably go. I think he probably will go. Honestly, I know that they're they're very much selling low on him. Um, Eloy Jimenez is a guy that could maybe go. Uh, ultimately, I don't think they're stopping at this. Lance Lynn will probably go. Dylan Cease might go. Um, yeah, I think Dylan Cease is probably like the big name out there in the pitching market, and he has been for the entire year. Um, yeah, I don't think they I think this is certainly the first domino to fall. And it's really it's crazy the way that things have transpired. You know, like this was a team that we got really excited about when they traded like the, the big one was really when they traded uh, Jose Quintana and got back Eloy and Dylan Cease, which, you know, that was when we were like, OK, this team's got a farm. This team's going to have a really good team. And then in 2020, you know, the pandemic shortened season, they were like leading the AL Central for a large part of the season and they fell apart in the last couple of weeks and snuck in at the seventh seed. But, you know, we were thinking, okay, like this is the start. This is when we really start to see it from them. And then 2021, they, you know, win an easy division and then, you know, like get snuck out. They, they stuffed out of the playoffs in four games, 2022, they're mediocre. They finished 500 and this year, it's been a complete disaster. You know, I don't think, you know, I know that Chris, you predicted the White Sox to win the division and I predicted them to finish second, I think, but I don't think anyone could have predicted it would be this bad. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And one thing we talked about preseason was the hardest teams to predict and the White Sox were one of the hardest teams to predict because there was always, there was potential for this, but we didn't think this would happen. We figured, you know, 81 and 81 was the anomaly not not 93 and 69 like when mm-hmm. what they were in 2021 we figured yeah we figured last year was the anomaly and not 2021 and we're finding out that like i i guess that just they had the pieces like like we mentioned last episode they had all the pieces in place it just never worked it just never worked to its full potential and didn't really come close to reaching their full potential maybe 2021 is the example where they got close but like they're you know they were a potential 
they could have been a potential World Series contender, but they never, never reached it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly, I think we, we got to look at it as one of the, you know, people love to praise the Astros for their re- rebuild, the Orioles for their rebuild. And, you know, they had to suffer through a lot of terrible seasons, but, you know, Astros fans got a dynasty. Orioles fans are set up for, you know, competitive baseball for the next decade plus. Like, it also doesn't work out sometimes, you know, like the, the Pittsburgh Pirates is a perfect example. Like they, they're still kind of going, they're now selling off pieces that were from the rebuild. The Detroit Tigers, the same thing. And the White Sox, I think is the best example of, you know, they spent years in the basements, losing a hundred seasons, losing a hundred games a season, building for the future. That future came, they were competitive and then it kind of just fell apart. I mean, like, you know, like people, people love to point out like, Oh, we want to rebuild because we want this team's rebuild. It doesn't always happen like that. Some, you know, sometimes you aim for an Astros rebuild and you get a White Sox rebuild. Um, so, you know, I think I think we should like this is a good example of how tanking doesn't always work. Uh, and now, like the White Sox have essentially just wasted a bunch of time from like twenty, I don't know, thirteen through through nineteen. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think what also, and I don't, I definitely agree with your point. I think what also should be noted is like you can you like rebuilding doesn't just mean, you know, you get a bunch of high draft picks and then they and then they work like you need a development system within that, because obviously when you draft, especially if you draft a guy at a high school, there is a three, you know, three to four year period between them getting drafted and them going to the MLB. And they've had a lot of high draft picks, but most of them just have simply not worked out. Uh, and going back to 2015, it was Carson Fulmer at number eight. That, that just hasn't worked out at number 10 in 2016, Zach Collins. Like, when do you, when do you hear that name? Just traded for uh, Reese McGuire. Yeah. 20. I, I was just, I'm literally just going through drafts right now. 2017 was, uh, was Jake Berger. Who's sort of working out now, but I don't even know if he was, I don't know if you would value him as like oh that like that guy was the first round draft pick of course he was like he's kind of a he's a decent player uh 2018 uh nick madrigal like i guess you got him in that uh you got him out in that uh craig kimbrell trade but still like that that's a guy who just generally hasn't worked out and uh in 2019 andrew vaughn at number three overall like we haven't seen we just haven't seen him break out and like that that has to do something with organization. Like it doesn't just happen by accident that you have five straight first round picks that aren't really breaking out. Like there's, there's something organizationally that didn't work out and we're kind of seeing the results of that. Yeah. I mean, the MLB draft is the biggest like lottery out of all of the, the professional sports drafts between like the NFL, the NBA, the NHL. Um, because, you know, if you look through any first, if you look through any like first round of a draft, you're going to see a lot of guys that just didn't pan out. But yeah, I mean, if it's happening every single year that you're drafting a guy that just doesn't, whether he does, maybe he doesn't make it to the majors, maybe he makes it to the majors and doesn't make that kind of impact. Like if that's happening every single year and it does for a lot of organizations, like you are doing something wrong. And that is a major piece of why a rebuild doesn't work. You know, the Astros, they drafted Carlos Correa, they drafted Alex Bregman, uh, they drafted 
countless guys that that ended up making a real impact for them and getting eventually big contracts, whether it be with the Astros or elsewhere. The Orioles drafted, you know, Adley Rutschman was like the, the obvious pick, but like they also drafted, you know, Heston Kerstad. They reached for him at number two and he's a big name prospect now. They reached for Colton Kowser at five and he's a big prospect now. They drafted Gunnar Henderson in the second round. Uh, like, you, you know, like those are picks that weren't obvious that worked. Uh, and it doesn't happen like that for every organization. And, you know, you don't even have to have it happen 100% of the time, but you got to hit on a couple, and the White Sox hit on virtually none. Right, right. Like, it's it's crucial in a rebuild to hit, to either hit on those guys or, like, draft them and develop them extremely well and reach that potential that made them, you know, a top five or top 10 draft pick. And it doesn't even, like, with with good farm systems, you don't even have to be a team that loses a lot to get good, to have good prospects. You, you develop those prospects. I mean, the Dodgers have been like a top five farm system forever and they haven't had an early draft pick since like we were literal children or like even before that, like they haven't, they haven't had those early draft picks yet. They still continue to just draft and develop or, you know, sign internationally and develop these really, really good players who end up really good, probably because, of their great development system, whatever it is, you know, we obviously we're not on the inside able to know these things, but they, they have something working for them. And it just seems like the teams like the white Sox have not been able to find that or find those guys or not look deep enough to get, you know, a good development system in place. You know, it's very complicated. We can't identify exactly what it is, but we're seeing what's happening and, and it's just kind of, and, and look at the White Sox now. I think they have like a bottom five farm system or something like that, I'd, or maybe bottom 10, maybe it's gotten a little bit better, but I know they, yeah. they've sort of depleted it and it, and now they're in a real, real standstill. Yeah. And their, their farm system has gotten a little, a little better. Obviously Edgar Caro now comes now becomes the number one prospect and like number 60 overall or something like that on MLB.com. Uh, Noah Schultz has developed nicely as a pitcher this year. Colson Montgomery, uh, has developed nicely over the last couple of years. So their farm system has gotten better, but it still isn't, you know, one of the best ones in baseball by any means. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's where that's where those two teams stand with the Angels and White Sox. There's a lot of um there's a lot you can talk about there, obviously, as as we just did. Um anything more you want to uh get into there before we move on to the next trade? I think that was kind of everything. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, so yeah, as we mentioned, there was uh, another big trade. There, there's been a couple, you know, minor trades, but one we'll get into with two, uh, two guys with major league talent. Uh, Ahmed Rosario of the Cleveland Guardians, shortstop. He was traded to the Dodgers for Noah Syndergaard, starting pitcher. Um, what did you think about this deal? I was very thrown off by it. I will say. I think on. I mean, I. I it doesn't surprise me that Ahmed Rosario got traded, even though I'm pretty sure they literally just extended him. Um, I would have thought it was for a little more than this though, because uh, you know, we were in a group chat together when it went down and I said, apparently Syndergaard's going to the, to the guardians. And I was like, that's probably just part of the return. That can't, that can't be it. And that was it. Uh, They did, they did send cash considerations over. I'm assuming that just means the Dodgers are like kind of eating Rosario's, contracts um because i do believe that he he was extended right was that just jimenez or was ahmed also extended 
Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Remembering that correct, I'm pretty sure Ahmed Rosario got a extension from the Guardians. Uh, no, I, no, I think... no, he didn't. He's just an RB. He's just an RB. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's a free agent after this year. Okay. So two, wow. Two so, okay, rentals. Rental. I can't believe Ahmed's already almost a free agent. I feel like he was just a top prospect like yesterday. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It it doesn't. It feels very weird. It feels very weird. Yeah. It this this also threw me off, and I don't like. I don't know if they're is a winner to the trade particularly like i don't know what's going to go on here um i'm curious as to how the guardians utilize noah Syndergaard. i'm curious to see how the dodgers utilize uh ahmed rosario like i you know he is a shortstop and the dodgers have been sort of lacking in shortstop since trey turner left last year you know they tried out miguel rojas they put mookie Betts there which kind of worked out but you know they want him in a in a better position for him uh, but with Ahmed Rosario, like you're bringing him over and his, you know, negative 15 outs above average and his below average offense. And you're like, OK, what how are the Do- how are the Dodgers going to use him? Are they going to make him better? Like, I, what's the what's the deal here? Yeah. And then at the same time, you look at Noah Syndergaard, who is only 30 years old and has just unfortunately just become such a different pitcher after Tommy John surgery for the worse. Um his strikeout numbers are still down from like around the same rate that they were last year with the Angels and Phillies around 16%. His walk rate is fantastic. Always has been. He's always been a solid pitcher with preventing walks, but he's kind of just getting uh, hit really hard this year. He has a hard hit rate against of of, of 39%, which I guess isn't uh, awful. It's 44th percentile, but uh, you know, he's, he has a very high expected batting average against a high expected slugging against uh, guys are kind of just finding the right part. Uh, they're, I guess they're finding the right launch angle against him is what you could say. Um, but uh, he's his pitch arsenal, if you look, look up and down to that, there's really nothing redeeming. All of He has five pitches that he's thrown this year. Actually, he might have six. He has six pitches that he's thrown this year. All of them, with the exception of his split finger, which he's only thrown exactly four times, uh, have an expe- have a slugging percentage above 500. And two of them are at 600. Uh, so you look up and down this arsenal and there's nothing really that you're like, well, that's the pitch he's got to lead with just based on results from this year. Um, I mean, if you want to look specifically at it, his sinker, which he throws primarily now, uh, it has a launch angle against of 11 degrees, which that's really all you need to know. Uh, because if you throw a sinker, you're trying to get ground balls. And I mean, if you look at the uh, the contour on his, on his pitch arsenal on his Savant page, he's throwing his sinker pretty consistently high in the zone or even just in the strike zone in general, which is not where you want it. You know, you want guys to be kind of reaching down low for it. So they're getting below the baseball and hitting a ground ball. Uh, and it just hasn't been working that way for him. So, you know, the guardians, obviously they're known for, for solid pitching and, and being able to fix guys that, or get more out of guys that they don't expect as much out of on the pitching side of things. So I'm interested to see how they, uh, you know, approach this with Syndergaard, this little project they have now here. Right. Yeah. They, they, they have been known for good pitching development, you know, at, especially at lower levels, but also at the MLB level, like being able to have guys be really, really good when they maybe weren't before. But yeah. With Syndergaard, like there, there are, there are many concerns you can have. 
you know, I think it's been documented what his velocity has done. Uh, his sinker and forcing velocity have both dropped 5.2 miles per hour since 2019. And I think that is the expl I think that's the explainer for the strikeout rate going down to 15% right now. And you mentioned like, okay, the the hard hit rate is 39.9%, which isn't, you know, obviously that's not a crazy bad number, but when your strikeout rate is 15%, that number is emphasized more because you're giving up that hard hit rate is hard hit rate for all batted balls, but not like I'm sure his hard hit rate for like per plate appearance is, you know, a lot more concerning because he's not, he's not putting guys away with strikeouts. So he's giving up just generally more hard hit balls because there's more contact. Uh, so that's why, you know, that's why his expected ERA is in the mid fives, um, because, you know, he's not giving up, you know, he's not getting strikeouts. And we're, when you're not getting strikeouts, you need to give up the lowest amount of, you know, the, the lowest level of contact possible. And that hasn't been going on either. You know, he's given up, you know, worse than average contact, you know, worse than average barrel rate, worse than average hard hit, hard hit percentage, um, all that stuff. So, so yeah, that's that's what's been plaguing him in general. Just nothing's really going right. But you know, there's always potential with the Guardians. But uh, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of trust both teams here. I think both teams do generally well with trades. Although the Dodgers have <laughs> dropped off some weird guys, you know, to to get some to get some players that maybe weren't all that worth it. But you know, this isn't the scenario. It's two major league level guys. So I'm sure both, both teams see the potential in the guy that they traded for. One thing that intrigues me about Syndergaard specifically, you know, he's obviously lost the fastball velocity. I mean, if, if you look at his percentile rankings, he was perennially in the top like three percentile and then he dropped off to 50th percentile in 2022, 21st percentile in 2023. Uh, like it's pretty clear, unfortunately, that Tommy John surgery just took took a couple of miles an hour off and you know at the age of 30 that's not something that you're normally prepared for that's usually something that goes on in your you know mid to late 30s um but his extension off the mound is also kind of decreased he was 98th and 95th percentile respectively in 2015 and 16 uh 2017 he kind of dropped off to 58th percentile now he's at 64th this year um he used to get about seven feet off the mound uh in 2015 and 16, which were, I guess, kind of the best years of his career, statistically speaking. Uh, and it's dropped off to about six and a half feet now. And I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but that makes a difference. It's, you know, it especially makes a difference when you're throwing hard, but when you're not throwing hard, you know, it makes it that much easier to see the ball as a hitter when it's not coming in from uh, as close. Like that gives you another split second to, to, make a, to make a decision on whether to swing or not. Um, and Noah Syndergaard is still a big guy. He's six, six, you know, a very tall pitcher. Like if you can find that again, I think there's at least a little bit of something there, uh, that he could fix up. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's an interesting point to bring up because I don't know, like, I'm, I'm wondering how that's so mechan that's so mechanical. I'm wondering how that does get fixed i wonder if that's a health issue i wonder if it's a mobility issue that he's developed or something like does he not have a as big of a stride like i think that's that's definitely something for the guardians to look at but i'm i'm wondering if it is fixable um but yeah it, that is definitely an interesting uh definitely an interesting point to bring up because obviously 
you know, major league baseball players, they don't shrink. <laughs> their arms don't get shorter. That's not the reason that no. extension is decreased. Like there's something mechanical that's going on there. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting point to bring up. Um, anything, anything more on this, uh, on this old trade here? Um, no, I don't know. I mean, I, Ahmed Rosario, it was significantly regressed defensively. Uh, he was 90, he was 84th percentile and outs above average in 2020, but ever, but every other year he's been kind of bottom of the barrel. Um, I'm interested to see if that's something the Dodgers could fix. You know, if he's going to be, if he's going to be at best a league average bat, like you're going to need to at least have some kind of defense to justify uh, having him play every day. And he hasn't done that for the Guardians. Uh, he certainly hasn't been an average bat for the Guardians this year. He has an 89 OPS plus, uh, but he also just has not been playing defense. And that's been, you know, kind of an issue. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I guess it does make sense for, it makes sense for the Dodgers to go in the shortstop market because from their shortstops, they have the eighth least production in terms of F war. Um, however, and also they have a, a 70 weighted runs created plus from their shortstops, which is probably bottom five if I, uh, if I click on it, but um, in layman's terms, the Dodgers have just not gotten really any production from their from their shortstops and maybe they're looking for more offensive production out of their shortstops which is why they're you know looking at a guy like Ahmed Rosario who you know was an above average bat last year and is near average I think you know near an average bat this year a little below it uh, I know he's at a sub 700 OPS but yeah the Dodgers are um the Dodgers shortstops are sixth worst in weighted runs created plus so um, I'm sure they're looking for an offensive boost, uh, adding to, you know, they're, they're adding to Kike Hernandez in the middle of the infield who they also, yeah, who they also have added since last episode. So, um, so yeah, they're making some minor moves to maybe in, give some added depth in the, in the middle of the infield and figure out what their roster is going to be like for the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think having Kike Hernandez is more fan service than anything. Yeah, there's there haven't been many redeeming qualities from his game this year. No, um, on really any. Uh, and then I think Ahmed Rosario was the more serious move. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, the 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 Kike trade was was interesting. I, I know as Red Sox fans, we're kind of both glad at the return the Red Sox got. Like yeah, they got a well. Nick Robertson was the name of the guy pitcher. Yeah, uh, guy in AAA. Right, right. Very good strikeout to walk numbers. Um, and had good, you know, has good stuff. It's just at the major league level, he needed to literally like allow less line drives, and he's pretty much yeah. good. And yeah. that I feel like that's more fixable than if he had a low strikeout rate. Um. So, yeah, any, anything more before we get into players to highlight? No, I think that was everything I had. All right. So now we uh, we move on to the part we have most prepared for, um, for our, and we'll start out with the good players, and we will talk about, we will go on to our Friday, July 
28 or 29 wait what day it's is it 28 it's the 28th yep. friday july 28 2023 edition of how about that he's striking out less walking more and he's also making better contact turning into a strikeout machine just out of nowhere he's been excellent all around this year he is getting a how about that so this how about that for today i think we both knew that it was it was going to happen soon enough it is arr alum Tristan Casas, who's been uh, hitting extremely well for the Red Sox, dating back to June 16th. That is his last 28 games. He is slashing 355, 434, 699 for an 1133 OPS and a 204 weighted runs created plus. Uh, during the span, he ranks third in the majors in batting average, third in on-base percentage, third in slugging, and then obviously third in OPS, and then second in weighted runs created plus uh, behind Shohei Otani, which fair uh before the span he had a sweet spot percentage of 28.5 percent and in this span it has jumped to 44.9 percent that means that a lot more of it, almost half of his batted balls have been between 8 and 32 degrees that's usually where you want it uh additionally 31.9 percent of his batted balls have been hard hit and in the sweet spot so it's been in that zone of launch angle plus 95 miles per hour that is the third highest rate among the 255 hitters with at least 50 batted balls in this span. That's Tristan Casas ranking third there. Uh, he has also done the most damage specifically against fastballs. Uh, in this span, he is hitting 405 against four, against four seamers, cutters, and sinkers. That is the 10th highest among the 285 hitters with at least 25 batted balls in the span. And his 905 slugging and 568 Woba both lead that list of 285. So he has done, he has the highest slugging and the highest Woba against fastballs in baseball in this span. And he is also hitting 300 and slugging 500 against breaking balls and off-speed pitches in the span. And that is thanks to his swing and miss rate on those pitches going from 38.2% before the span to 29.3% in this span. So still not a great swing and miss rate, but certainly a lot better than 38.2%. So Tristan Casas has been hitting extremely well. He's swinging and missing less. He's absolutely destroying fastballs. And he's been one of the best hitters in the league for over a month now. Yeah, Tristan Casas. How about that? All we were missing was the song Peppas. Uh, I forget the artist, but um, yeah, we we just you just needed to talk loudly over music for that to be a true Tristan Casas highlight. Um, but yeah, it it's been you know as Red Sox fans, it's been a pleasure to watch, um, especially knowing what his potential was, and you know people were really down on him and and in April and early May, but ever since then, it's been a treat to watch him. Um, and he's also just by the, like not even considering skill, just one of the most entertaining at bats to watch or technically plate appearances to watch. Cause he does walk a lot. Um, but yeah, it is a, he's a fun guy to watch and it's been a pleasure to watch him blossom. Uh, my, uh, how about that is, uh, from the, one of the twin cities, not, actually but from he's on the twins um it is i've i've seen it i I haven't seen his full name pronounced because the broadcasters call him eddie so i'll just call him eddie eddie julian uh of the minnesota edward yeah edward it's 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 spelled in a non-common way but it is just edward julian okay i I know the french like the french pronunciation which i looked up was like edouard but i don't think he's going by that i think he's just going by edward (laughs) Um, but Edward Julian, 
uh, in his last 17 games, he is hitting 423 with a 1374 OPS. He's been unbelievable in his last 17 games. Uh, out of 189 qualifiers in this span, Julian leads in batting average, is second in on-base percentage, second in slugging, second in OPS, and he leads in weighted runs created plus. Out of 215 hitters with 200-plus pitches seen in this span, Julian is second in expected batting average, first in expected slugging, and first in expected WOBA. And a lot of this has had to do with him just straight up hitting the ball harder. His average exit velocity has gone from 87.0 miles per hour to 91.6 miles per hour. And his fly ball rate has gone from 21% to 30%. And his average exit velocity on fly balls has gone from 93.1 miles per hour to 96.1 miles per hour. And on fly balls in this span, he is 10 for 11 with a 28-18 slugging percentage. The extra exit velocity uh, on his on his fly balls has really increased his performance and increased his barrel rate from 11% to 32%. And out of 273 hitters with 25 plus batted balls in the span, Edward Julian leads in barrel rate. And his sweet spot rate has also gone from an already good 39% up to 51%. And his sweet spot rate ranks third out of 273. Uh, Along with that, he's gotten better, you know, along with him barreling up the ball well, you know, hitting harder fly balls and hitting more fly balls. uh, He's also making more contact in general. Uh, His strikeout rate has gone from 35% to 25%. And his whiff rate has gone from 35% down to 22%. So Edward Julian of the Twins, he's a second baseman. He's been barreling up the ball like crazy and also making more contact. Uh, So yeah, he is getting a... How about that? Um, All right, so that should do it for how about that. Now we will move on to the players and subjects that have been underperforming for our Friday, July 28th. 2023 edition of slightly alarming statistics he's been barreling up the ball way less he's not missing bats he's not getting the ball on the ground and people are hitting it in the air more it's been so bad he is getting a slightly alarming yeah so i kind of slightly i've kind of started my slightly alarming and then wasn't able to finish it due to some things that popped up but uh my slightly alarming is jeremy pena from the houston astros last year's world series mvp and uh, it's, it's been a struggle for him. Dating back to July 6th, he is slashing 155, 210, 172 for a 382 OPS and a six weighted runs created plus. Uh, and he's been comfortably one of the worst hitters in the league uh, in this span. His slugging ranks third worst among the 187 qualifiers and, it wa- and his weighted runs created plus ranks fourth worst. Uh, and during this span, 46.8% of his batted balls have been 0%, 0 degrees or lower. Uh, that is the 16th highest rate among the 239 hitters with 29 batted balls. And before this span, it was about 39%. So he's hitting the ball on the ground a lot more. Uh, additionally, I believe he's, I, I don't have these numbers pulled up, but I believe he's over like 13 on any batted balls above 20 degrees. Uh, and it's because he's been hitting a lot of softer fly balls. Uh, that are below the hard hit threshold or just barely at the hard hit hit threshold that are going to either center field or left center or right center. He's just not placing the ball in the right place when he hits fly balls. And he's also just hitting simply a lot of ground balls. So I don't have a lot of those numbers pulled up, but Jeremy Pena just hasn't been hitting the ball the right way. 
Yeah, Jeremy Pena. Slightly alarming. Number uh, number sixty-four player in baseball according to MLB Pena. Network top top one hundred right now. He was apparently thirty-three spots better than Logan Webb and twenty spots better than Sean Murphy. But yeah, that was that was a gripe I had. But you know, good kid. Uh, any CBL alum also, so shout out to him. Cape League alum as well. Cape, yeah, more importantly, Cape Never League alum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the any CBL team he played for does not exist anymore. It's out of Plymouth. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, my slightly alarming. Um, it, it might mean it might mean some good news for the world. I don't know. I don't know what's been going on. I haven't been following the news, but it might mean things are going well because Nick Castellanos has been slightly alarming. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that might that might mean some good things for for this universe. And if you don't know the joke, then then learn it. But uh, Nick Castellanos in his last 17 games, he is hitting 134 with a 362 OPS and a negative three weighted runs created plus and out of 187 qualifiers in the span his average is seventh lowest on base percentage is fourth lowest slugging is sixth lowest and ops is third lowest and out of 165 hitters with 200 plus pitches seen in the span uh, his expected batting average is ninth lowest expected slugging is second lowest and expected woba is fourth lowest so his actual numbers are bad and his expected numbers are also very bad uh nick castiano's Nick Castellanos's sweet spot rate has gone from 35% before the span to 25% in the span. And out of 247 hitters with 25 plus batted balls in the span, his sweet spot rate is tied for 36 lowest, bottom 20, maybe even bottom 15% there. And uh, Nick Castellanos is hitting, he is hitting fly balls at a higher rate and average exit, and his average exit velocity on them has stayed within 0.1 miles per hour. However, uh, despite that, despite those being largely kind of good things, uh, his average launch angle on those fly balls has gone from 36.6 degrees to 43.4 degrees. And he has 10 batted balls with 40 plus degree launch angles. And he is 0 for 10 on those uh, on those fly balls. And his rate of batted balls with 40 plus degree launch angles has gone from 12% before the span to 23% in the span. And as I mentioned, He's 0 for 10 on those batted balls, so it is a bad thing that he's uh, increased that rate of 40 degree launch angle batted balls. Uh, and part of you know, partially because of this, his barrel rate has gone from 11 percent to two percent. Uh, and along with him making worse contact, he's also making less contact. He his strikeout rate has gone from 25 percent before the span to 32 percent in the span. That strikeout rate ranks 20th highest out of 189. And also his walk rate is only 2.8% in this span. Uh, and his walk to strikeout ratio is 11th lowest out of 189 uh, since July 6th. And uh, Nick Castellanos's whiff rate has gone from 35% to 41%. And out of 158 hitters with 100 plus swings in this span, Nick Castellanos's whiff rate is third highest. So Nick Castellanos, he's making less contact. And when he's hitting the ball, when he's hitting fly balls, they're usually higher flyer, higher fly balls, uh, which are not going to get out of the ballpark and are likely going to meet someone's uh, someone's glove. So Nick Castellanos, maybe for the good of the world, 
is getting a slightly alarming. Um, so that should yeah. Uh, so that should do it for this uh this installment of players to highlight, and we will get into a preview of the weekend ahead, where I will be highlighting the series to watch. Daniel will be highlighting the starting pitching matchups that you should keep your uh, eyes out for. Uh, I think there's a, there's a good amount of meaningful series going on here with, you know, playoff contenders going against each other. Um, And, and yeah, there's just, there's just a lot of things to look out for uh, this weekend. Uh, Dodgers reds in uh, out in LA Uh, both teams, I think have sole possession of a spot in the playoff race. Uh, Yeah. The reds have, Reds have the six wild cards or the the third wild card spot, the sixth seed in the National League playoffs if the season ended today, and they have a challenge with the Los Angeles Dodgers, who just acquired Ahmed Rosario. Not the biggest deal in the world, but they did make some action. Uh, along with that, we have uh, Braves Brewers for the second straight weekend. This time, it's at Truist Park. Uh, Brewers have been doing well they were very competitive against the Braves in that series so it should be exciting to watch again this time in Atlanta and along with that you have Orioles Yankees uh the AL East leading Orioles versus the uh Yankees who are fighting for a playoff spot and maybe getting back uh Aaron Judge soon also you have uh Blue Jays Angels out in Toronto that's going to be an important series I think the Angels have uh have a lot to prove after this trade and and they're going to have Lucas Giolito throwing tonight. Um, and that's going to be a really good pitching matchup with who, he, who he has against him and the premier series to watch with all those great series to watch is Astros Rays. Uh, the Astros are hosting the Rays who, you know, despite the race uh, struggling as of recently, I think they still have the second best record in the American league and maybe third, third best in, uh, third best in baseball. Uh, I might be mistaken there, but I think that's the case. So, I mean, the Rays are still a team to really look out for, and they're headed to Minute Maid Park where they will face the Astros, who are also fighting for a spot in the first place in their respective division. So who do you have for the uh, day-by-day pitching matchups? So on Friday tonight, Zach Wheeler and Mitch Keller are going together in uh Phillies and Pirates in Pittsburgh. Garrett Cole and Grayson Rodriguez are facing each other in Yankees. Orioles, that one, like you mentioned, will be in Baltimore. Uh, Mackenzie Gore and Max Serger are going against each other in Nationals Mets. Um, Shane McClanahan and Christian Javier in Rays Astros. That's another good one. Sonny Gray versus Brady Singer in Twins Royals. Uh, Logan Gilbert will be facing the Diamondbacks for the Mariners in Arizona. Jordan Montgomery will be facing the Cubs for the Cardinals. That is in St. Louis. Uh, Cutter Crawford and Logan Webb are facing each other tonight in Red Sox Giants. And then also Brandon Williamson and Bobby Miller are facing each other in Reds Dodgers in L.A. And matchup of the night, I think you mentioned it earlier, you alluded to it earlier. It comes from Angels Blue Jays. It's Lucas Giolito versus Kevin Gosman. It's Giolito's Angels debut. Uh, Gosman, of course, has been one of the best pitchers in the American League uh, for Toronto, and that's going to be an exciting one to watch north of the border. So then on Saturday, you have Reed Detmers versus Alec Manoa in Angels Blue Jays. You have Aaron Nola and Quinn Priester facing each other in Phillies Pirates. Um, you're going to have Bailey Ober facing the Royals for the Twins in Kansas City. 
um, Jameson Tyone and Adam Wainwright facing each other in Cubs Cardinals. You're going to have Julio Tehran and Bryce Elder facing each other in Brewers Braves uh, at Truist Park. Brian Wu and Brandon Fodd facing each other in Mariners Diamondbacks. If you don't know either of those names, you should know them. Um, Hugh Darvish will be facing the Rangers, his old team, for the Padres uh, in San Diego. And then matchup of the night comes from Rays Astros. A couple of young guys. It is Taj Bradley versus Hunter Brown. Yeah, electric, electric stuff going on there. And also shout out to the Julio Tehran revenge game. Yep. Yeah, true. Um, and then lastly, on Sunday, you're going to have Tyler Anderson and Jose Barrios facing each other. This one kicks off at 12.05, so it's going to be a 9 o'clock a.m. game for Angels fans. That's cool. Woo! <laughs> um, it's, the, it's the Peacock game. Um, you will have Justin Verla facing the Nationals for the Mets at City Field. You're going to have Tyler Glasnow facing the Astros for the Rays. Kenta Maeda facing the Royals for the Twins. Uh, Michael Kopech facing the Guardians for the White Sox. You're going to have, what are we going to have? Graham Ashcraft and Michael Grove facing each other in Reds. Dodgers, Luis Castillo facing the Diamondbacks for the Mariners. Blake Snell facing the Rangers for the Padres. Luis Severino and Dean Creamer going on Sunday Night Baseball in Baltimore. That's cool. And then matchup of the day might be a surprising one comes from tigers and marlins it's Tarek scoobal versus jesus lazardo both of them have looked awesome this year scoobal just came back from tommy john surgery i believe he has like a fip in like the 1.2s or something like that and lazardo has been one of the best pitchers all year in general yeah I, i'm surprised to hear um scoobal's name at this point i did not know he uh recovered it, it seems like a semi-quick recovery like compared to the rest yeah. of the tommy john surgeries so Good for him. Good for him. Good for the Tigers. Um, all right. That should do it for this installment of Above Replacement Radio. Stacked show with good topics and a great interview with Mike Petriello. So a, a blast to do um, all morning here. And uh, yeah, we hope you enjoyed this one. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, or just check out the general digital content that we have, or check out our playlist uh, with the guest interviews which will have a new edition there um go to the youtube channel and subscribe to the youtube channel it is called above replacement radio where we have all of that uh follow us on social media follow me on twitter or x or whatever the heck it is uh at chris underscore gianta follow daniel on both twitter and instagram at daniel underscore current and follow the show instagram at above replacement radio for all the show needs Uh, We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking all the happenings in Major League Baseball. Once again, see you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.